My name is Alan. I'm an Alpine. Well, <laughs> whenever we started painting this <laughs> and discussing who's going to speak, you know, and everything, I had a <laughs> yell and shout just about to uh, get some nominations, and namely Shannon here. <laughs> well, I had to shout some more to try to introduce her. <laughs> Looking forward to introducing somebody up here because. I don't have too much longer with the Alchemy program before I have to go into Al-Anon. <laughs> and I think this is just a wonderful way to uh, end the Alatina <laughs> and go into the next step. Uh, I started in 71 the Alatina program by following what my brothers and sisters did, <laughs> going there for first year or so as a place to get out of the house on Tuesday nights. <laughs> so finally I started talking, you know. <laughs> I remember <laughs> the first thing I said, it was really so stupid, you know. I'm afraid <laughs> after I look back, I'm wondering why if those people were really even listening because <laughs> they didn't laugh or anything or started whispering enough. But I'm glad they didn't because <laughs> they were... <laughs> really helped me, you know, and they wanted people to talk and I decided to talk. <laughs> well, after a while, after that, I started soaking in even more and started helping me at school and at home mostly. <laughs> uh, I have one brother that's particularly hard to live with. And Of course, I have six others, I mean five others, too, go with them. And I didn't help much either. Well, I'm getting, getting along with him a lot more. And even whenever he was living with us for a while this summer, <clears throat> I remember the first conference I went to was at Big Spring. <laughs> and that was Shannon's home group and all. And I really liked it. Uh, just brought even more ice into the cake and pack and our roundups. And she was so friendly there, she decided to let us take us out to eat and everything, or take us over there to eat. Well, we were going over there, and all of a sudden, she said, There's my boyfriend. So, there happened to be a carload of boys, and she was the only girl, so we all waved to her, to him. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know if she lost her voice in that night or not, but she said it was going to be okay. She wasn't going to be mad at us. Well, she said she's very involved with alcoholics around here just a while ago. And as uh, well as everybody else around this room, you weren't, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> so here's Shannon. She's going to talk to you for a while. Hello, my name is Shannon, and I'm an Alan who is starting to transition into the Almond program. 
First of all, I'd like to thank the committee very much for inviting me here. This whole weekend has just been really exciting, and it's meant a whole lot to me. And it's brought about a lot of really good things that I'll always remember. I have to tell you a story first. We were kidding around last night out there with a the biorhythm machine, and we decided, you know, just, just to see what happened, we put in my birthday for today and see what my biorhythms for today were. Well, by that machine, I should be dead. I have no luck. <laughs> No creativity, no anything. And so I was, I was laughing about this, but underneath I was really scary. Besides talking, I had to fly back today. <laughs> I told my mother when I gave her my flight schedule that if anything happened, to send my worldly goods to the children in Bulgaria, but I didn't mean it. You know, I don't want to die. So when we got so joking and laughing about it, we finally figured out that what it meant was I had no control over today and that God had to do it all. And I have a, a friend who writes music, and whenever he writes something good, he gives the credit to God because it came through him. And if he messes up and it's not like he likes it, he takes the blame because he misinterpreted. And that's the way I feel about when I talk. If something good comes out, it came straight from him. If I mess it up, I jumped in and tried to get involved. My first regulation of alcohol and a drinker in my family was when we lived in Lubbock. I was about four years old, and I remember riding out to the strip with my daddy in the car. And this was fun. I was—I remember I went a lot. I was, you know, little, and sometimes, most of the time, I was the only one that went. And coming back, I would sit on the beer, and I don't remember how much there was, but it was enough to sit, let me sit on and make me look pretty big. And he would always buy me a Slim Jim, and it's a long way from the strip back into our house, so I'd have it was hot, and I had to drink something, and I'd take a sip of his Coors, and I didn't like it. And I didn't know why he drank that awful stuff, but that's what daddy did. And, I, you know, my, my early childhood years were very happy. I don't remember any yelling or screaming. I remember my part, my, we come from an Air Force family, and there were a lot of parties and a lot of dressing up in mesh uniforms and big social gatherings and going to the club a lot, but I don't remember any big yelling screams. And we moved to England, and the same continued. And I just thought life was grand. You know, I had, I had a very happy childhood. I had an imaginary friend I played with. I had a, three older brothers and sisters and a younger sister who wasn't around. When she finally came around, I didn't like her. I was supposed to be the last one, and she showed up. I remember I was, I was at a birthday party, and they came and got me and told me Mom was back from the hospital, my little sister. And, boy, since that day, she's just interfered. You know, I had to leave the birthday party because of her. But now, through the program, I've gotten over a lot of it, you know, that... It's all right if she has a few more clothes than I do. She's the youngest. She didn't have the rest of us to grow up with. But when we moved back to Texas, Appleton and States, I remember things started happening. I remember the yelling, little yelling fights, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't any major. And uh, my dad went to a training school for a while, and this was around the time the Vietnam War was going on. And they told us it'd be a year before he went to Vietnam. I remember he had been back only a short time and the phone rang and I called him and told him he had to go to Vietnam. And I remember the great love that I had for my father and how sad I was that he was going. And this love was never taken away through all the drinking because I remember how, how sad I was. And through that year when I wouldn't get a letter, if I, when I wrote a letter one day, the next day I expected the letter to be back. I remember sitting on the mailbox and crying because there wasn't a letter from Daddy. And Mother would have to explain that, you know, Vietnam was a long way and it took a little while. 
And uh, the day before he came back, we went. My mother and I went to the base liquor store, and she brought just tons of beer. And I, I remember asking her, "Don't you think that was a little too much?" And she looked at me and said, "It'll all be gone by tonight." And that's when I thought, maybe there's something different about my dad. And when Daddy came back, it was really neat. We brought all kinds of new furniture, and we went on a family vacation. We hadn't been one in ten years, and I was a bartender. I, Annie wasn't big enough to be bartender, and all the big kids were too big to sit in the back seat of the station wagon, the very back. So I sat back there with a mouthwash, as we called it, and I was a bartender all the way to Rio Dosuna. I remember my dad, he used to place bets for us at the track, and he never got to watch the games because he'd have to go have a martini when he, before he placed the bet and placed the bet, and then he'd come have one when he got back, you know. And it was real fun to watch Dad. He was just a blast on vacation, you know. And we were always joking and laughing about the mouthwash, you know. And I thought, boy, this is really neat, and I didn't see it as a problem. And then I remember sometime after that when it all started, the fights. I don't know if I wasn't aware of it before then or if it just wasn't around. The yelling, the screaming, the, you know, everything that goes with the alcoholic home. We were very lucky and we never had a lot of the trouble that many other people in the program had. My dad kept his job throughout. You know, we always lived in a very nice house and had everything we needed. There was just a lot of yelling and screaming. <clears throat> and about this time, this was around fifth and sixth grade, I had been very quiet about it. Nobody knew. And I, would, I had a blue teddy bear that I made, and I made it myself, and it was on those cutout patterns. But I put buttons on it so mine would be different because I felt different from everybody else. Mine had to be different or unique. That was the word I liked, was unique. And I can remember feeling different from the other kids because they didn't have this. And about this time, they finally realized in school that I couldn't spell. I had real good grades, but I couldn't spell. All of a sudden, they decided the thing for me was special education. And they threw me to all these psychiatrists and all these testing and made me walk on these boards and take all those funny tests. And I kept on saying, why me? And once again, I really felt different. Here I had this problem. And after they got through all these tests, they couldn't figure out why. They couldn't label it. There was no label for me. I was just different. They came up with no concrete reason why I couldn't spell or why sometimes my grades would drop real low. So these these two big things that, that I was really different from everybody else and I used to cover up with laughing a lot. I was a real happy child and at school I was real happy and no one ever knew. I thought, I was, you know, I always thought to do stuff and one day in class I started to cry. We were, it was Christmas time and we were drawing a picture and I, I knew that, that that Christmas that, you know, it wasn't going to be real nice because there was going to be yellow and screaming and no one in my family loved each other. And uh, I started crying, and a friend came up, and I, you know, earlier my, some of my sister had informed me that my dad was alcoholic. We were folding clothes, and she had informed me, well, you know what's the matter with dad? And I said, no, and he said, he's alcoholic. And from that day on, you know, I didn't know what to think about my daddy. I thought that was a bad, nasty word. Until then, I thought that all daddies grew up and drank and smoked and yelled. And mommies cried and yelled. And little kids ran around and yelled and got upset. That's, you know, I thought all grown-ups did that. I never knew. You know, I kind of thought something might be different, but I didn't now know. And now I had a label for it. It was alcoholic. So I sat there crying in class, and I told this girl that my dad was an alcoholic. And she looked at me, and she goes, you don't have it bad. Ken is bad as a drunk. And boy, <laughs> I felt so much better. You wouldn't believe it. 
I didn't have a drunk. I had an alcoholic. I figured an alcoholic was someone who was a drunk, but they kept their job. You know? And my dad was in the Air Force, and I knew they couldn't kick him out. So, you know, and as soon as I found this out, I ran over to Kenda, and I said, I want to talk to you. And that was my first contact with Alatine. She wasn't in Alatine, but we had something that we shared. And the love between us that day was so unreal because now I knew there was one thing I wouldn't do for now. In fact, somebody had it worse than I did. And it was such a relief. Around, you know, during this period of time, we moved. We moved across town into a better neighborhood and a bigger house. And boy, the hope I felt nobody would know that you know, that we yelled and screamed and nobody would know anything. And Dad had been sober for a while. We'd put him in a hospital for a while and he'd been sober. And boy, life was going to be great. You know, forget that I couldn't spell. I didn't care about that. Life was going to be great. And my brother picked me up from my new school, from the old school to take me to the new house. And I walked in the door. And the first thing I saw on the dining room table was a bottle of Jim Beam. And right then I decided... Because I remember praying to God, you know, if you make Daddy quit doing it in the new house, I'm going to keep my room clean. That was my deal for him. <laughs> I grew up in the Catholic Church, and some time ago I thought that they had informed me that God was Monty Hall. And if I made deals with him, that he would keep them. And that was my deal. I was going to keep my new... And it was a big room. And I was showing my own sister, this is a big promise. I was going to have to beat her in this healing up just so Daddy wouldn't drink. And boy, I decided that my room was not going to be clean. My mother doesn't know this, but this is the reason today that I still don't clean my room. I was mad at God. It's still real hard for me to clean up my room. I got in a real bad habit because if I cleaned up my room, I was showing that, well, I guess you're all right. And I sure wasn't good. I was mad at him. You know, he hadn't kept his end of the deal. And so the new house wasn't a new house. All the same things came over with it. And I felt, you know, my dog ran away one day, and they, the dog was as old as I was, and they found him in our old neighborhood, and I wanted to go back so bad. I wanted to be able, like the dog, to be able to run away, and I couldn't. And right after we moved, Kendra's dad, the drunk, died, so fear set in. If drunks die, alcoholics die. Kendra's dad died drunk, and I was really scared. Now, more than anything else, I couldn't hate my dad. I was scared I was going to lose my daddy. I had been through a war, and he'd come back, and I was scared I was going to lose him because drunks die, and I knew that alcoholics had to die sooner or later. So the summer after we came to the new house, things really got bad. There was yelling. There was screaming. We took up and we left one night, my mother and the, the three girls, my brother's, just went on their own. They were old enough that they didn't need to stay around. And we went to the Holiday Inn and we told everybody our house was being painted because, you know, we couldn't tell anybody. that, that I didn't know that alcoholics were sick. When they told me alcoholics were alcoholics, that was, that was bad. They didn't tell me it was all right. So, and I, I can remember not wanting to go, wanting to stay there, to stay with Daddy because I didn't think they should leave him. And, uh, my mother made the decision that time to commit my father. And it was real easy for us because she worked at the state hospital. And we didn't have to go through a lot of the rigmarole that other people had to go through. And all this time I was kept away from what was happening. I was taken out 
you know, and uh, I got to go to the rodeo a lot. I got to stay out real late. Anywhere I wanted to go, I got to go just so long I'd be out of the house. My little sister was young at the time and didn't really know what was going on, and my elders and brothers and sisters stayed there to help Mom. So I was the one who was gone, and I would come back, and the house would be in shambles, and the brooms would be broken, and one night they told me they chased after them with brooms, and I couldn't believe not my family. So when they committed my father, my mother decided to take us to the convent, and we would stay with the nuns, and she was going to stay there and get together, and boy, that was bad. I had already made my deals with God, and he had broken them, and I didn't like him. I remember I'd ask the nuns where my mother was, and she'd be in there praying, and I would be mad. My little sister and I would out there and make, you know, make lemonade with the nuns, and they'd cook for us, and I used to think, how sad, because they've got it all wrong. You know, they're sitting here making deals with God, and one day he's not going to fulfill their deal, and that's the way I thought. So when my dad was in Shelby's college, as he called us this morning, my mother started leaving the house, and she wouldn't tell us where she was going. And one day there was an ad in the paper about Allentine, and she asked my sister if she wanted to go. And I wanted to go, and she wouldn't let me. I was only 12. My sister came back, and she goes, Shannon can go. She's old enough to go. And boy, I thought this was it. Now I was going to get to be a part of all this. Instead of being sent away, I could be a part of it. So I went to my first meeting, and the San Angelo group was there. I'm originally from Big Spring, and now I'm attending school in San Angelo. And they sat there, and they talked about their dads and their moms, and they held my hands when they said the prayer. And Clem, our sponsor, took me to Dairy Queen and bought me an ice cream sundae. And this, you know, this is stuff my daddy used to do. And as we were leaving, George from, from San Angelo looked out the car, and I wanted to hug him, and he came out and he hugged me, and he hugged his daughter, and he said, Hi, I'm D.O.D., and his daughter said, Dear old dad. And I went home, and I made another deal with God. If I stayed in this program, he was going to make daddy a dear old dad. And that's all I had to do was stay in here. And I was real happy because I was going to do this to make dad better, and I could have fun, too. And that's, that's how I came in. I finally decided I could make deals again, and this was the only one I was going to make. I was going to come back, and you were going to make things better. I had a lot of fright. I was scared. I had, had felt different. I had been labeled, but the labels were left blank. And I didn't know, you know, what it was all about. And I got into this program, and I got to travel with it and go to conventions, and these people were so nice. They were so beautiful to me. So I decided I was special. And when I would go back to school, I was very involved with an organization at that time. I would be special. I would be different. And if they did one thing, I did the other. When the trend was for everybody to have a boyfriend and wear the ID bracelet, I decided I didn't do that because I didn't make commitments. I was in this program, and my love was free. And that meant not wearing your ID bracelet, but not to worry that I would still be in love with you. And I lost a lot of boyfriends that way, you know. But I had this program, and all these turkeys out there didn't know what was going on. I, you know, I knew what was going on, and I was different from them, and I was way up here. And I kept that attitude for a long time. And because I kept that attitude, I think it was down inside, I was scared to go out and be like everybody else. So I decided that different was all right. And I really wasn't that different. I thought I was. You know, if some new trend came in in Alpine, boy, I'd have to do it. You know, if they were wearing long Levi's, boy, I'd rip out the hem of mine, too. And uh, 
when I got into high school, I was really scared. And I made it through my first year all right, but at the same time I had a two, I'd be different. And two or three times a year, I'd take off and be the real Shannon. I'd go to Alateen conventions, and they started to call me Bumblebee, and I came alive. This is my place. And pretty soon, you know, I'd get out, and I'd go to college, and all these people were older, and I thought, boy, college would be great. You know, they wouldn't dress up or anything. And, you know, and then I could be an alcoholic counselor, and I'd be with these people, and life would be great. All I had to do was hold through high school. I didn't have to get involved. I didn't have to like anybody, and it got awful lonely. So I decided that I'd been in the program long enough to have an earth boyfriend, you know, one of those who's not in the program. So I family one, and he was real shy, and for about six months we did everything together. He took me to school. He brought me home. This isn't a boyfriend that, that Alan found me with. That's a different story. <laughs> There's a reason why we had a fight about that one. And, uh, you know, life was great. Here I had my friend at school, that someone who really knew how I was, and boy, I let him know about the program. You know, and someday he was going to grow up and be in the program, too. He didn't have an alcoholic in his family, though, so I had to lend him one of mine. I've got a, a grandfather who's an alcoholic and a great-grandfather who's an alcoholic. So I told him he could borrow one of mine so, you know, he could be in the program with me. And he just kept on saying, yeah, yeah, maybe one day. And I think he got kind of tired of being used. And he left one day, and there I was. Boy, and it wasn't even around the convention. It was in January, right around, right around Christmas. And I was going to have to make it all this time without a special friend and without a convention. What was I going to do? And I really fell apart. I didn't have any friends. And because we had been so close and done everything together, the breakup was a real messy one, you know. And his friends didn't like me, and my friends didn't like me anymore because I had left all them for his friends. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to have this trouble. You know, and then I thought, well, wait a minute, I'm a kid of an alcoholic. It's all right. You know, you've got to have some troubles in life. You know, you're not expected to be real good because you're a kid of an alcoholic. And that was my little excuse. I ain't telling anybody that, but that's the way I felt because it was a real good excuse. I had the program for Dad. You know, and, and things around the house were all right. I was real busy and I wasn't around there much and I really didn't care what was happening. If I went to my meeting once a week that I enjoyed, you know, that was my part and that was all I could do. I didn't think I had to bring Eddie at home. I just had to go sit there and have fun. And uh, I went through and I made it through about April. This is my sophomore year. And all of a sudden, I met another one. And I liked this one. There was only one problem. First night I met him, he was drunk. Second night I met him, he was drunk. Every night I knew him, he was drunk. Everyone knew he was always drunk. That's the first thing I heard about him. But that was all right because I had a program. And now I could have me an AA. Boy, life was great. Let me tell you, this was my ticket to stay in the program. I had an AA now. And so being the good... I even went to a few online meetings. I must have been 16 years old. But I thought I could go since I had an, an alcoholic, whatever he was. And... Uh, my way of keeping him sober was not saying anything. I was smarter. You know, he'd go, let's go out Wednesday night, and I'd go, that's my night for AA. You know, and I never said anything to him about it. I never told anybody about it. The whole world knew it except for my parents, and I wasn't going to tell them. 
And I used to get upset about it, but that was all right. That was something new to work on in the program. And about this time, I decided that I wasn't going to make a deal with God anymore. I was going to start praying to him because I was worried about Steve. So I started praying for him. And one night, he came to pick me up at the club. He used to come to the parking lot, and that was it. And he was drunker than I'd ever seen him. And he cried on me, and we had a long talk. And I said, I need some help. So I called a friend in Dallas. And they said, you know, you have to let go of him. So I decided for that one night, I would let go of Steve. When he took me to my house that night, seven blocks later, he had an accident. By the grace of God, I went in the car. I didn't have to be in that night till 11. And very rarely did you find me coming in early. And I came in early that night. I don't know why I came home. The cop knew me. And when they pulled Steve out of the car, he said, you know, if you had Shannon, she would have been dead. Very few people know this. I don't tell it very often because it's something that I don't realize. At first, I was upset with God. Steve had wrecked his brand new car. And then the cop came up and had a talk with me. This is a few weeks later. I got riding around with Steve and Steve was so drunk. Because since his dad was somebody powerful in town, there wasn't much they could do about it but to stop him and try and talk him to go home. Then I realized that this wasn't something I could just use to go into Alnon. And I decided to have a lot of turmoil about it. And it went on. And I finally decided I needed to lose Steve. I had enough. I was endangering my life. And the day I left him, I called my mom at work and I said, I'm going to Dallas. And I was just in tears. I was frantic. And my mother said, you're not going anywhere until you tell me what's the matter. And I couldn't talk to her. You know, I had never shared anything with her. Our family just didn't talk. And she came home. And I told her about Stephen. And she looked at me. And she said, it's all right. I love an alcoholic too. And she shared with me. But it's been a long time since then, just until recently, until I felt I could go to her again. So I was all right for a while, and that's when I decided the program had to be for Shannon. And I decided no more of this being alone, being different. And what I did was I decided to get involved with some stuff at school. I always kind of been a clown. And uh, so I decided drama was a thing for me. But I had a stage fright. So I went to the speech end of it, and I worked drama backstage. I was real good. I'm a great organizer, let me tell you. And I was real good backstage. You know, when everybody else was falling to pieces, I was just calm, cool, and collected. So here I was starting to work backstage, and you start your way at the bottom. And on the other end, she had me going to speech tournaments. And see, this was unheard of because no one in the Mullen family had done anything like this before. In our family, we weren't in band. You weren't in anything. I broke tradition by getting in band, but I didn't play an instrument. I just did the music. Because, you know, I remember the kids asking to be in band, and it was no. And I could never figure this out. But you just didn't get involved with things in our house. You know, and all the other kids, they worked, and they didn't have to have money to go to, you know, to Lubbock for a convention that you were going to, you know, be in Alateen. And they sure didn't have money to go to Midland to be in a tournament. And so I had to start asking for things, and my parents gave it to me. Sometimes it wasn't the nicest thing because the way I asked wasn't very nice. And I started going to these things, and I kept on going to Allentine, but I was starting to come alive in other ways. And uh, I would start at the bottom, and I learned what fail means. You know, I knew what it was like to be rejected. 
and there was times I was going to quit all of it, but I didn't. I stuck in there, and I allowed a lady to teach me how to do some events. I allowed her how to teach me to take a talent and put it on stage and to show people how to use it. And she knew I was scared, and we became very good friends. She didn't know about the program, but she knew that I had something that a lot of people didn't have, and she told me this often. And my love of that lady is very strong today because she took the time to teach me. And this is something I've done often in my life, was when I did get involved with little things like softball, I would become very close to the coaches or the teachers. I'd always been real good friends with teachers because there were adults I could get close to. I would tell them stuff that I never told my parents. And today that's different. Today I tell my parents stuff that I'll never tell my teachers, and I like it better that way. So I went on and made it through my junior year and had had done real well. You know, I hadn't won any great honors, but I was real proud of what I'd done. And next year was my senior year. Boy, was I going to whoop up on them, let me tell you. I was going to be head of crews. I was going to be, you know, top rated in the state in speaking in, you know, my speech events. And I sat around all summer, didn't have anything to do, and all of a sudden this opportunity turned up for me to move to go to a youth conservation corps, which is where you work in, you know, in the bushes and the weeds and you chop down and everything. And I didn't think about the decision before I made it. I had about two hours to make the decision, and I made it and I went. And this was the first time in a long time I had been away. And all of a sudden I started to realize that I really did miss my parents. I really did. And it started to come back again. You know, all this time things have been happening in the house that Shannon just wasn't really concerned about. You know, um, uh, my parents and my brother, the one sister who got in the program had dropped out. The others had all refused to come. And my parents weren't as active as I thought they should be. So I was the martyr in the family. I was the only one in the program. I was doing my part, and they weren't doing their part. And if they were yelling and screaming... It was their fault, and if I yelled and screamed, it was because they wouldn't work their program like I thought they should. So when I moved, I started realizing that, you know, I not really miss these people. It was only for a month. You know, it's a new situation. I had to get up at 7 every day and work till 5, and I'd never done this. It was hot. And it was a month, and I was real glad it was over with, but I was real glad I'd done it. And it taught me some stuff. And I came back, and I tried... I really tried to to get in touch with these people at home that I lived with because I wanted to. And I can remember yelling and screaming at them and going in my room and feeling bad. And I've been in the program five years by now, you know. And I had applied the program to a lot of my life, but I hadn't even scratched the surface. I hadn't even started to move. And my senior year came up. Boy, was I ready. I was head of the office I was working in, all kind of responsibilities. I even got a faculty parking slot because I, I had to go get his lunch so I had to make sure I could get in. I was, you know, the best. In persuasive speaking on my team, I was head of a crew that did a big show. And, you know, I was doing all right, and I still had my identity. I could still go for the weekends and still be bumblebee 
and still love all these people, but I was bringing some of it back because I had to use patience and serenity with these people I was working with. And I had a lot of hard times, but I was starting to apply the program with them first. You know, I thought maybe if I could work with them, I, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but maybe someday I'd be able to take it back to my family. And I used to feel real guilty about this. Boy, people get up on the podium and talk and stuff and, and talk about their family. And I just sit there. You know, I introduced my little sister to the record. They said, I didn't know you had a little sister. Nobody knew I had a family. I didn't talk about them, you know, because they weren't in the program. If I did, that's all I said was they weren't in the program. You know, my dad was sober and our house was, was nice, but I thought since they weren't in the same program and didn't work at the IA, that we weren't going to be good. We weren't going to be one of those neat AA families, you know, that did things. And I always resent that. I see families and brothers and sisters come together, and I used to, you know, I knew the program was going to bring me so many good things, but I never once thought, I never thought that it would bring me a love for my parents. I loved them, but not a love where I could cry on them and yell at them and tell them how I was. So here's my senior year. And I'm really starting to do well. You know, and I've, I've made some decisions about my parents. You know, I'm getting doing well in the program and everything. And one night I was riding around town by myself and I saw Steve. And I had to talk to him. I don't know why. I guess I'd never gotten over it. So we started to talk. And this time he'd grown up in his alcoholism or his, his drinking problem. And he learned how to hide it. And I wasn't as good as telling if he was drunk or not. So we went and talked, and we both cried. And that night he asked me to marry him. And I wanted to say yes, but I couldn't. There was just no way. So I told him that we'd talk about it, and we were going to give it a while. I wanted to blurt out, well, you join AA and get six months, and we'll get married. <laughs> but good Almonds didn't do that. And I was working on my principles, and besides, my family did not like him. I was going to really have to do some working. So the next day, we met for lunch, and we talked again. And he said, I need to tell you something. And I said, what? And he goes, I was drunk last night, and I don't know what I said. <laughs> he goes, I have another girlfriend that lives out of town. And I got up out of the restaurant and left him with a tab and said, had a nice life. I had gone back once, and that was enough. But the problem was I didn't feel very good. I felt real bad. I was throwing a fit. I was crying. And I just thought that there, you know, there was nothing left for me. I lived in a small town, and, boy, if you, by the start of your senior year, if you didn't have concrete plans to what you were going to do, you better find somebody to marry you awful fast because your life was just going downhill. You either had to have, you know, a guaranteed scholarship or... A great aunt who lives someplace you're going to go live with. And I thought, man, what is there to me? Because I hadn't talked to my parents about college and about money yet. And I sure didn't know how I was going to get there. So I went home and I started to think. And I remember the feelings of despair. I remember how I felt. I thought about suicide. But deep inside, that love for my parents that was there when my dad went to Vietnam, I knew I couldn't do it because I knew it would hurt them. I couldn't imagine how it would look in the papers. I would love to see what it would have done to Steve, but I couldn't do it. So here I am thinking about this, and it was three days before Cedar Canyon, my first Cedar Canyon, and I got a call from an team. Hi, Bumblebee, are you going to go to Cedar? And I quit crying, and I said, yeah. 
And they said, you're crying, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And they told me to hold on three days for them, and I'd be all right. And that's what I did. And I didn't tell anybody about this. Sure wasn't going to tell my parents. I wasn't going to tell anybody else. And I came back, and I made it through Cedar, and boy, life was great. I was all together again. And I came back, and Steve's friends started to call me and tell me that something was mad at Steve, and no one seen him for a while. And I said, I didn't care. I had released him. You know, um, I was taught a prayer a long time ago. It goes, as children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because he was my friend. Instead of leaving him in peace to work alone, I sat around and tried to help in ways that were my own. At last I jerked them away and cried, Why must you be so slow? My child, he said, What could I do? You never did let go. I'd heard that prayer for a long time, and I thought I'd let go. I always had a lot of trouble remembering the last line. You know, I was a real, I think there's part Indian in me because I'd take it up there and, you know, you're not saying anything about it. So I got to worrying about Steve and where he'd been. And he called one night late, and he said, I need to see you. And I was real good at excuses, so I got out of the house. And he said, I've been drunk for a week. He said, I broke up with that other girl, and I want to start again. And I laid down the law this time. I said, we are going to have a relationship, and we are going to date. And you are going to behave. And I said, if we do get married, we're going to do it properly. We are going to have a big church wedding with your big family and mine, and we're not going to run off in a loop. This is around October. I turned 18 in January. I said on my 18th birthday, we'll tell my parents. Well, he went on and off, and I went on and off, and I never knew what I was going to do. And here I was involved in all these things. You know, we'd have a fight on Friday, and I'd go to a tournament, and I was winning. I was winning first and second places, and I'd come back and be so mad at them on Sunday, you know, and it went on and off, and nobody knew about it. I couldn't tell anybody that my friends hated him. My parents wouldn't let him in the house. So this was all, you know, I couldn't share it with anyone. I wanted to run in, you know, a commercial where you run and jump in bed with your sister and say, hey, I'm going to get married. I wanted to do that, but I knew they'd kick me out of bed. And I knew in my heart that I really wasn't going to get married. So this went on. And... uh I knew it wasn't right. I'd only see him once or twice a week, and we'd always talk about all our promises, and I'd talk about him and go home and feel that it wasn't really right. And I was doing a lot of good at school. I really poured myself into school and what the events I was in and stuff. And once again, I made the decision, this time you got to go. you really got to leave. And I did. And it hurt. And I had to do a lot of letting go because I would see him a lot. And he would call a lot. But I knew that this wasn't what I wanted. I wanted someone who was going to understand the way I was, but I didn't want to have to go through the drinking with him. And I didn't want to have to turn against my parents' back. I had never told them. The one time I did approach him, they told me that Steve could come to the house if I didn't drive with him. And he chickened out. He wouldn't come. I was so mad. I had gone through all this. I remember this, this period of time for no reason, yelling and screaming. I became a very nasty word around the house because I was always yelling and screaming, and I would yell, you don't understand, you don't understand. But I couldn't tell him. 
So I had the rest of my senior year left, and I made it through, and I decided to make it good. When I graduated, I had gone to state in persuasive speaking, and I had been nominated for homecoming queen. That's something that kids of alcoholics don't do. That's something that people who have been labeled at a young age to have a special learning problem don't do. But I had done it, and I knew I'd done it because of Alateen, because I had gone out and done something. And I decided that I had to get out of that town when I graduated, and I wasn't waiting for college. So the way to go was move to the hill country and work at a camp and then go to school. In this time, uh, my mother and I had been fighting like cats and dogs. I applied the program everywhere else, but it stayed on my front porch because I sure wasn't going to take it into that house because they weren't trying. And I'd left home for a night, and I can remember the feeling of, of despair and ugliness. And I, I knew I wasn't supposed to feel this. I was in this program. And I would go to pack, and I would feel so much love, and I would feel so bad because I didn't feel it at home. And, I, man, I was getting up there in the years. I'd been six years. People were starting to know who I was. They starting to look up to me. And I could tell them about everything else, but I sure couldn't tell you about home. And I kept quiet about it because I didn't want anybody to know that, that Bumblebee didn't get along at home, and she still yelled and screamed. So when I left home, I left the day after the big banquet, which was the day after I graduated. My dad took me down to the hill country because I wasn't speaking to my mom. And I worked at a camp, and I'd been promised all kinds of things. And it was so great because I'd been looking forward to this about two months. I was going to run away to the mountains and be a mountain person and just do my job, and nobody would know me. Nobody would know that I had been involved with this guy that everybody knew drank. I wouldn't have to like anybody. I could just hide. I could get together and go to college and really turn out well. Well, this job was so messed up, I didn't have time to get together. Every time I turned around, I learned about people and the people I wasn't going to get along with and the people that, that conned you. And wait a minute, the world was beautiful. You know, the world was beautiful. I missed sure wasn't. I only had one place to turn to. I had to call home to get them to come get me. And I remember arguing on the phone that, no, I'm not coming home. I'll stick it out another week. I had to depend on brothers and sisters who I had forgotten because I didn't like them. They were the ones who came and got me. My parents were the ones who took me home. And for that month, nothing was said about my failure. I stayed at home the rest of the summer. I couldn't find a job. It was either a bar or a liquor store. And Dad wouldn't let me do either of those. So I stayed at home, and now was really my time to get together two months to myself. I did more dying in those two months than I've ever done. I sat around and held resentments against everything in that town. I didn't like who I was, so I decided that I was going to go to school. I, was, I knew I'd been going, I was going to go to Angelo, and I was going to be a hermit. So I moved to the small dorm and to the big high-rise. And I was up there, and I was a real good hermit. The girls in the dorm loved me. I was everybody's favorite, you know. And uh, the boy, I didn't go out very much. I kept on saying that I didn't like college men. I didn't like college parties. I was scared to go out because they drank a lot. And I didn't like to drink. I still, boy, I hated that stuff. I can remember I'd been in the program three or four years, and we were driving around, and some of my friends were drinking. 
And somebody passed me a bottle of Jim Beam, and they all knew that I really didn't drink. And I looked at that thing, and I threw it out the window. You know, I still didn't like it. And I sure wasn't going to go where all these people liked it, and that's all they did. So I got on a holier-than-that kick and didn't go anywhere. But the place I went was home. I started to write. I started to call when I was lonely. And I started to open up. And I started to find out that I really did have a family. And they were a real good one. For the first time in my life, I allowed my parents to be parents. I opened up my arms and took what they had to give. And it felt good. When all else would fall through, instead of calling an outing, I called home. And this was something I had never done. And I got to thinking, man, I'm going to have one of those families that I really can love. And I went home at Easter, and my mom and I had a fight. Ugh! Was it terrible? I thought I had ruined it. It was all the back way it felt, but it wasn't. We were able to forgive this time, because I had shared, and she had shared. And the summer was coming up, and I always had trouble with jobs. I never could find one. And uh, all of a sudden, a job landed in my lap that allowed me to use a lot of my talents that had hurt me. The talent of being a clown and laughing when I was sad, and the talent of loving people too much, trying to share some of this program. The job I got was a recreational therapist at a state school for the elderly mentally retarded. And there I have to be funny. I have to be happy. I also have to love. And these people take my love, and they don't hurt me. They can't. They take all I can give. I used to always cry that I had all this, pro- all this love in the program and nowhere to channel it. I found my channel. I can give these people all the love I want. They're like little kids. If I'm happy, they love me. If I'm sad, they're mad at me because I'm not supposed to be sad. I've gotten together a clown show, and we do clown shows out there for them. And they haven't made the connection that Shannon, their teacher, is Bumble the Clown. And it's real neat because they'll come up and tell me how happy the clown made them when the clown, you know, shook their hand and hugged them. And God has finally given me the job, the time I needed. This job takes a lot of my time, so I don't have a lot of time to spend with the college people I don't like. You know, but I've learned to go out and to feel comfortable with them. If I want to have one drink, I can. You know, I know how I feel about that. I've taken the scared away and it's a comfortable now but this job lets me be around people that I like it allows me the money to take some of the financial burden off my parents which is something I felt real guilty about because see I knew how to be a bad child I didn't know how to be a proud child I didn't know how to listen to my father say he was proud of me now I've been in the program eight years and what I have from it is never ending I have a family like I never thought I had. I don't have all of it. I still got brothers and sisters I'm not close to. And it upsets me a lot. But that's something I need to work on. That's something I have to release. My parents came down here and, you know, when I told them I was going to speak, the first thing they asked was, do you mind if we come? And I was so happy because I didn't know how I was going to ask them to come. And about a week ago, my grandmother got sick and she, they weren't going to get to come. And they hired a nurse to come. Man, they really wanted to come. I wasn't ready for that. I was ready for disappointment, you know. 
I was a kid of an alcoholic. I was just that. I was a bad kid. I wasn't a good kid. They really wanted to come. You know, they started really doing things for me, and I started to let them. They send me stuff that I don't really need, and they say, it's for you. Enjoy it. And I have to learn how to take this. I have to learn how to like Shannon as much as they do and to be proud of her. I have to sit back and look at the accomplishments I've reached. There's a lot that I don't have a certificate on my wall for, but there's some that I do. I have friends all over the state of Texas that anytime, anywhere, they're there. I have a family that I found out anytime, anywhere, they're going to be there. I have the opportunity for an education, and I decided to go into alcohol drug abuse counseling. At first, it was a decision because that's all I knew. Now I've realized I can work with retarded, but I want to work with the alcoholics, with a family of alcoholics. So I've realized that I have choices that I never thought I had. I've gotten rid of some of those labels. On my 18th birthday, I marched down to the principal's office, and I said, I know the Privacy Act, and give me my school records. I want those tests, and I want them out. And he didn't know what I meant. And it was from the time I was in sixth grade till I was a senior in high school till I finally let go of that label they put on me. I am now an honor roll student in college. Honor roll students don't have learning problems. And that is something that I had to accomplish myself. I rarely ever talk about the testing and why I went through with it because it was something that hurt, something that I didn't like to have to talk about because it was something because I was a kid of an alcoholic who had a label. I'm a kid of an alcoholic who got to stand in an audience and watch them, watch me, watch my father get his education. He went back to school after he got out of the Air Force and got his degree. It took everything I had not to stand up and yell, that's my daddy. I knew he'd kick me out of the house if I had him. <laughs> I've gotten to see what my mother is really like. You know, it's funny now, I turned to her in all kinds of things. That very first time I turned to her, she didn't turn me away, but I never turned back. A lot of my story today, they didn't know. I always knew they knew I was seeing Steve, but I'm sure they didn't know about the plans we had made. But this was a time for it to come out, and I know it's all right. I know today that they can take what I have to offer, and I can take what they have to give, and that's all right. This program has given me tools to look into the future. At Cedar Canyon, I was sitting around talking to a bunch of beautiful Almonds that I had respected all my life, and we were laughing and having a ball. I mean, these were big Almonds. These were GR representatives and TAC board chairman, and they liked me. Oh, my gosh. I sat in my bed, and I said, Woo, you got to do something because you didn't feel comfortable in there. And those people were giving you all the love in the world. So I came back from Cedar and started to work on that. Started to work on my rescuer, the people I drowned with love, and how Shannon accepts things. And what a place for him to throw me after I've learned all this knowledge into a weekend where I have to accept all kinds of nice things from the committee. And I have to be polite, and I have to feel that I'm worth it, and that I'm not just someone who they put up here. So that's my story of a kid of an alcoholic who wasn't supposed to do anything because she was a kid of an alcoholic.
If you've ever read Born to Win, one of the statements in it is, I firmly believe that anyone can overcome their hereditary and their environment. I always knew that I didn't like my grandfather. It was because he wouldn't let me sit in his chair when I was younger. That was the only time I recall meeting him. When my grandfather died, my dad had been sober a short while in AA. I remember the fear I had because he had to go up there and my grandmother still drank. And I worried about it and my mom worried about it and his sponsor worried about it. And when he came back, I found something out. I found out that my grandfather died two months short of 29 years. The only regret I have today is that I never got to talk to that man. Because when he died, I didn't care because I didn't like him as a child. And now I find out that my grandfather and I shared a very big part of our life. Hopefully someday I'd like to get up to Washington and see if any of the AAs still remember him. And maybe they'll have a tape of his talk. And through that way I can get to know my grandfather. I've overcome the hereditary. I've overcome the environment. And I've got tools to set out for a future. Tools so I don't have to get into an alcoholic marriage. Tools so I don't have to put labels on people. And tools to remove labels. When I first came to Allentine, I heard a prayer. And it sums up so much. It says, Oh Lord, I ain't what I could be. Oh Lord, I ain't what I should be. Oh Lord, I ain't what I want to be. But Lord, oh Lord, I ain't what I used to be. Thank you. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. Things you heard were spoken in the confidential should be treated as confidential. Keep them within the walls of this room and the confines in your mind. A few special words to those of you who haven't been with the song. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. You try. <coughs> you try to keep an open mind. You will find help. You will come to realize that there is no situation too difficult to be better, no unhappiness, too great to be lessened. We aren't perfect, the welcome we give you may not show the warmth we have in our hearts for you. After all, you discover that soul you may not like all of us. You love us in a very special way, the same way we already love you. Talk to each other, reason things out with somebody else, but let there be no gossip or criticism of one another. Instead, let the understanding of and peace of the program growing you one day at a time. With all the care to join me in the closing prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our 
mind and sensation. And we're 